welcome everyone here in the room. Also want to give a quick shout out, look into this camera and welcome everybody online. Thanks for spending your lunch break with us or part of your spring break or just the middle of your Good Friday with us. Super glad that, that you are here as today we, we pause to remember the cross. Uh, good Friday is called good for a lot of reasons, but there's also a weight that comes with this day too, right? Uh, we were having breakfast with our, our kids this morning, and one of our kids, we're asking about Good Friday. Hey, do you know what this day represents? You know why we celebrate Good Friday? You know what the meaning behind this day? And, and uh, one of our boys said, yeah, today's the day that Jesus went to the cross, and, and he died on the cross for our sins. And he's like, so therefore today is a sad day. So there'll be no more laughing, no more smiling, no happiness, sad day. And I was like, whoa, well, hey, wait. <laughs> so on one hand, there's some truth to that. Like there is, there is some heaviness to this day. Like today, today we do remember the heaviness of the reality that took place this day. Uh, we remember the heaviness as we remember the consequences of, of my sin, uh, of, of my shame. Uh, today there is heaviness if we remember the reality of of the, the price Jesus is willing to pay uh, to have relationship with you, to have relationship with me. When we think about the cross, I mean, there certainly is a, a very real heaviness to that. Uh, but today is called Good Friday. Like, it's not Bad Friday. It's not Sad Friday. It's Good, it's good Friday. And it's good for a reason. And we're going to talk about some of those reasons today. Uh, but I want to invite you as we uh, kick off this service, I invite you to stand with me as we read um, God's word. So stand with me for the... In honor of God's word, we're going to be reading them from Luke uh, chapter 18, beginning in verse 31. And this is before the cross. This is uh, a couple weeks probably before the cross as Jesus and his disciples are starting to make their way to Jerusalem. It says this in verse 31. It says, Jesus took the disciples aside and told them what was, that we're going up to Jerusalem. And everything that was written about the prophets, uh, in the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. Gentile simply means anybody that's not Jewish. And so we would be, most of us in the room anyway, would be, be Gentiles. He's specifically talking about the Romans. I'll be handed over to Romans, and here's what's going to happen. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand the meaning of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. This is the word of the Lord. You can go ahead and have, have a seat. Well, everything that Jesus talked about in this prediction and as they're making their way to Jerusalem happened. It was on Thursday night after celebrating the Last Supper with his disciples. He's in this garden praying and, and one of his best friends, Judas, comes along and betrays Jesus with a kiss. It is at that point Jesus is arrested. And throughout Thursday night into early Friday morning, Jesus endures a trial that is a mockery of justice. It was against Jewish law to be able to hold a trial at night. But in order to fulfill their own agenda before the religious celebration of the Passover, they disregard justice in effort to execute Jesus. Throughout the night, Jesus is, is accused. Many false witnesses brought in front of him. And, and they can't find any fault in this guy, which speaks to his character, spe speaks to the way that he lived his life. And the only thing that they, they can have any kind of evidence on is this one claim, and that is that Jesus claimed to be God. And there's a saying at this time in Jerusalem with, under the Roman Empire that there is no king but Caesar. And so as the sun begins to rise on this day, some 20,000, 2,000 years ago, uh, Jesus is brought to Pilate. He is brought to Herod, and 
put on trial before them. They, they can't find any fault in him either. But because of the political struggle at the time between the Jews and the Romans, they said, hey, we're going to just throw you a bone here. We'll, we'll do what you're asking. And so Pilate agrees to execute Jesus, but he says, I'm going to wash my hands of this. This is an innocent man. At that time, Jesus was flogged. He was insulted. Um, Roman guards, they, they took a robe and put it on him and they, they punched him. They spat on him. They said, hey, if you're a king, hey, here's a crown. They crush a crown of thorns on his head. He was flogged. That's a word we don't use typically, but flogging was um, a form of execution that the Romans used. They would, they would whip uh, victims. They had what was called a cat of nine tails, so kind of like a, almost like a baseball bat handle with nine leather straps coming out of it with rocks and glass tied into it. And they would whip the victims. They'd be trained to use this, this weapon. And they would bind the, the victim, above, hands above his head, stretching out the flesh. A flogging, I'll spare you some of the details, but, but it would often expose bones and internal organs, and, and, and a Roman flogging would take the life of its victim seven out of ten times. And that's what Jesus endured on this day, on Friday. It was after that that he is, had, a, had a, a 75 to 100 pound wooden beam laid on his back, and Jesus is then paraded through the streets of Jerusalem as pilgrims pack in to celebrate the, the Passover feast. Many there mocking him, many there continue to spit on him, cuss him. Also some some people that were with him, that loved him, wept as they saw him pass by. He was taken to a, a very prominent road outside of Jerusalem uh, called the, 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 the Golgotha or like Calvary. It's this, this prominent area, but, but don't think of it as being an area of seclusions. The Romans, when they executed somebody, they were trying to make a statement as well. And so, so, so it would be very visible as, as people were coming into town, they would would pass by this area. It was most likely that Jesus is stripped naked at this point. He is laid onto the cross, nails driven through the wrists, severing the median nerve, and he is then crucified. In 2020, we talked about a, a series of messages as Jesus uttered seven statements while he was on the cross. Uh, in that, that 2020, we uh, titled the message series, How to Live Through a Bad Day. Uh, a lot of us were having bad days in 2020. Uh, but Jesus endured a very bad day to teach us how we too can endure and live through our, our bad days. But it was the final statement that Jesus made on the cross that resonates most with me. As before he breathes his last, he, he utters this statement, it is finished. It is, it is finished. The cross is often viewed as, as an instrument of, of death. But for followers of Jesus, when we hear those words, it is finished, we remember the cross, we remember that it's a symbol of victory. It's not just an instrument that led to his death, it's an instrument that leads to our freedom. It's, it's an instrument that, that led to his suffering, but it's an instrument that leads to our healing. It's the old hymn by Sir Isaac Watts as he said, at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. It's at the cross where the burden of my heart rolled away. And it was there by faith I received my sight. And now I can be happy even on Good Friday. I'm happy all the days. The cross is more than an instrument of death. It's a symbol of victory. And so here's where we kind of pick up in our message. In John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus said this. He said, my food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish the work. 
He's like, I have sustenance. What gives me strength, what gives me vitality, what, what allows me to come alive is to do the will of the Father. He goes on to say this in John 19, 28 through 30. He says, later, knowing that all was complete and so that the scriptures could be fulfilled, he said, I am thirsty. This is Jesus on the cross. He, he's like, everything's complete. I'm thirsty. So here's what takes place. A jar of wine vinegar was there. And so they soaked a sponge on it. And they put it on a stick of hyssop branch. They lifted it up to Jesus' lips. His mouth was severely parched and couldn't, couldn't talk otherwise. And so in verse 30, when he had received a drink, he said, it is finished. Let's just say those words in red there. It is finished. Listen, it's finished. With that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Now, there, there's some heaviness here, right? There's some, some heaviness. And we don't shy away from the heaviness. In fact, I think it's good for us to experience some of that weight. I think it's good for us to maybe sit in that a little bit. But it's also good for you and me to remember on the cross in that moment, it is, it's finished. That word in the Greek is one word. It's, it's three words in English, one word in Greek. The Greek word is tetelestai. Tetelestai. It is it is finished, and in studying for this message, there's, there's five ways it, that this word was commonly used, five different areas where it was commonly used. The, one is this, whenever a servant or an employee completed a job, they would go to the master, they would go to the boss to tell a sty, job's done. Whenever a judge was presiding over a case, and after this judge had heard all the witnesses, after all the evidence had been presented, and the judge renders a verdict, to close the case, he would say, to tell a sty case dismissed. Whenever an accountant was, was trying to balance the books and they were documenting all the numbers, and they were trying to make sure everything was matching and whenever the account balances were brought to zero, the accountant would say, to tell us die, the books are complete. Whenever an artist was working on a masterpiece and and doing a painting, whenever he finally was finished with that work of art and it, that masterpiece was complete, he would lay, he would lay the, 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 the paintbrush down to telesty, the work of art completed. Whenever a priest was offering a sacrifice, once the, the sacrifice was fully consumed, once the sacrifice was complete, to telesty, sacrifice completed. On the cross, Jesus chose that word, to tell us die. Job is done. Justice is served. Account balance is brought to zero. Masterpiece finished. Offering complete. To tell us die. It's a day of heaviness, but it's a day of celebration because the work has been done. Mark 15 reminds us on, on Good Friday, after Jesus said, it is finished, he talks about what took place, three things that take place that I just want to highlight for you. If you have your Bible, it's going to be in Mark chapter 15. You can follow along on the screens. Uh, but Mark chapter 15, three realities of the cross that, that I think while we, we also, we've talked about some of the heaviness of the cross, now let's just talk about some of the joy of the cross. Why is Good Friday actually, actually called good? And so if you have notes, this is, where they, this is where they begin. The first Thing that takes place in, in Mark 15, that after Jesus says, Tetelestai, it is finished, the first thing that happens is, is it rips the curtain. The cross rips the curtain. Mark 15, 38 says, The curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And I love that. 
from top to bottom. In other words, no man could do this. Only God could do this from top to bottom. This curtain, you need to know, it's beautiful curtain. It was purple and velvet and gold. It was, it was 60 feet tall. It was four inches thick. I don't know what kind of curtains you got in your home, but, but I don't, we don't have any four-inch thick curtains. Like, this is, a, this is a bad boy curtain. Like, and the purpose of the curtain was to create separation. It was thick. It was big for a reason. To remind us that we just can't go there. Like for, for sinful people, people who have made mistakes, we, we can't go on the other side of this barrier to experience a holy and just God. It was, it was a barrier of separation. Matter of fact, only once a year could the high priest enter behind this curtain. He'd have to go through a whole lot of logistics, a whole lot of rituals to prepare himself to go behind this curtain. And even after that, they would like tie a rope to the high priest's leg in case like he, he did something wrong while he was in there. He made a mistake. They would... They would drag him out. I'm just saying this is a, this is a barrier. This is a, a, a declaration, a physical reminder that God is holy. I'm not. God's pure. You're not. God's righteous. We're not. And therefore we're separated from God. This massive barrier between you and God. That's what this curtain represents. And you might, you might have felt that barrier. Some of you maybe have felt that barrier this week, but Good Friday is good because in the moment Jesus said to tell us die, it is finished. The curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. We've received access, friends. You have access into the very presence of God. You don't have to go to Pastor Michael. You don't have to go to me. You have to go to a high priest. You have direct access because of Good Friday, because it is finished, because justice has been access into the very presence of the living God and have relationship with him. That's why Good Friday is called good. You would also need to know that this curtain hung in the temple for 1,400 years prior to this moment. For 1,400 years, people like you and me striving to get access, people like you and me striving to make sacrifices that somehow might be worthy to just get a little bit of a taste of forgiveness so that somehow, some way, we could approach a very holy God. But the barrier remained for 1,400 years. When the curtain is torn, it just highlights for me that God can do in a moment what some of us have been striving for for decades. He can create access. He can create breakthrough. God can do in a moment what many of us have been striving for. And that's why Good Friday is good. I love this. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 22, it reads this. It says, and so in light of this reality, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly go. Like we can go with, with, with some confidence. We can go with some audacity. We can go to Jesus, not because of anything we've done, but because of all Jesus did for us on the cross. We can come boldly and enter the most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way. How? Through the curtain, into this most holy place. And since we have a high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. Check this out. I love this next part. For our guilty conscience has been sprinkled with the blood of Christ to make the filthy clean. And so our bodies have been washed with pure water. Listen, because of the cross, you can put to rest your yesterdays and embrace a new day. You can have your mind washed of a guilty conscience. You can go boldly before the throne of grace. The curtain has been torn. Good Friday is called good because the cross turns outcasts into family. 
The cross turns outcast into family. You who are once far away have now been brought near. You who are once separated from God because of the cross, he now calls you sons and daughters of God. In, in John, as he's writing his gospel, he's like, can you believe it? Like in light of what you've done, in light of your past, but because of the cross, may we never forget the audacious, radical love of God, a love so great that he calls you and I sons and daughters of God. That's why Good Friday is called good. He turns outcasts into to family. Second point, if you're taking notes, the cross renders a conversion. The cross renders conversion. Mark 15, 39 says this, Then a Roman soldier who stood facing him and saw how he had died exclaimed, This man truly was the Son of God. Having witnessed all that he saw, Having examined his life, he's like, it renders a conversion. This guy really was. He wasn't just a dude. He was the son of God. This Roman soldier was a guy that most scholars believe was the, the soldier, the commander that, that took the spear and pierced Jesus' heart, that shoved the, the spear into his, his side. And, and here he is, spear in hand. Heard it is finished. Heard the words to tell us die. And the soldier, having received orders that Jesus is dead, wants to make sure he, he's really dead. And so he thrust his spear into the side of Christ. With literal blood of Christ on him, he, he says, man, I think I got it wrong. I think, I think we messed up here. This wasn't an ordinary man. This was the son of God. And this is, this is a pretty bad dude. Like this guy has done some stuff he's not super proud of. Certainly shoving the spear in the side of Christ, believing he's the son of God, would, would have to top that list. But the cross renders a conversion. And if you were to study who this soldier was, he has a name. And his, his name, church historians believe, is Longurius. And uh, church historians tell us that, that the last time, this wouldn't be the last time G he would have an encounter with Jesus. Uh, this guy, Longinus, goes on to be a, a fully devoted follower of Jesus. He leaves his command post in the Roman army to become a follower of God. He begins to preach the message of salvation, the message of Easter. He begins to tell people like they, they don't have to die in their sins, that there's hope not just for today, but hope for all of eternity. And he, he becomes a passionate follower of Jesus. And ultimately, this guy who put a spear in the side of Christ would ultimately lay down his life as a martyr for Christ. He went on to be a, not just a killer, but an evangelist. And the cross renders a conversion. The cross is still changing people's lives today. This, this Good Friday is good because it reminds us no matter what your past may be, no matter what your present situation might look like, because of the cross, your broken story doesn't have to end broken. And aren't you thankful for that? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. This means that everyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. Tetelestai. All things have become new. New life has begun. Good Friday is called good. Here's the next fill in the blank. The cross turns outlaws into disciples. This outlaw, this, this bad dude, became a passionate follower of Jesus and ultimately laid down his life. Why? Because the cross turns outlaws into disciples. Third and final point is this. The cross releases us to care. The cross releases, 
releases us to care, not just about ourselves, not for self-preferization, but, but, but for the sake of others. The cross releases us to care. Mark 15, beginning in verse 42, says this. It was, it was the day of preparation. That is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was with him, waiting for the kingdom of God. Now, at great risk to himself, he goes to, he goes to Pilate. And so he went boldly to Pilate, boldly goes. Because, it, I mean, if you ask for, to help an individual that was just executed, you could be associated with whatever crime he was accused of, and you could be executed as well. But he boldly goes to Pilate, and he asks for Jesus' body. So Joseph brought some linen cloth, took down the body of Christ, wrapped it in the linen, placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against it, against the entrance of, of the tomb. Uh, when we encounter the cross, it, it releases us to care. It, it releases us to, to not just care about ourselves, but it releases us to care about, about others. It releases us to care about the salvation of others. So we, we tell our story. We tell what God's been doing. We invite, we invite people to Easter. It releases us to care about a hurting city. So therefore we feed the hungry. It releases us to, to care about people who are hurting in our church. So we reach out. We care. We try to come alongside. We try to encourage. The cross releases us to care. And I love that, that Jesus says this. Jesus, he basically says, let me handle all the hard stuff. So you can just focus on caring for people. Let, let me handle the hard stuff so you can just focus on loving people around you. Jesus says, let me handle the hard stuff. Let me handle eternity. I got that. Let me handle forgiveness of sin. I took care of that. Let me handle providing a pathway for you to experience peace in your mind. I got that. Let, let me handle taking care of provisions. Check it out. Like I care for the birds. Like I, I feed the birds of the air. Like I clothe the flowers that you see on your walk. Like I got you. I'm going to take care of the heart. I'll take care of your provision. Let me handle the hard stuff so you can focus on loving God and loving people. Let me handle the hard stuff so you can care for others. The cross releases us to care. John 13, 35 says this. The message paraphrase, I love it, says, this is how everyone will recognize that you are his disciple. When they see how you love one another. It's not going to be because of a bumper sticker. not going to be because of your found, sounding argument. They're going to they're gonna know you're, something's different about that dude. Something's different about her because of the way they just love people. People who encounter the cross have an experience of God's radical grace. They experience his radical care. And therefore, they care for others in return. Matthew 28, 18 through 19. Jesus, after his resurrection, after Easter Sunday walks on earth for 40 days, meets with hundreds of people at a time. He's on the Mount of Olives, about to ascend into heaven. But his final words was this, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. I've done the hard work to tell us die. It's finished. I've done the heavy lifting. Listen, I've defeated death, hell, and the grave, the heaviest rocks you could ever think of. I've already lifted those off your shoulders. So now you can live on mission. So all authority has been given to me, therefore go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, help, helping people take next step. Who in your life could you help take a next step for next Sunday, April 24th? Who could you help take a next step and get, get baptized? 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Who could you come alongside and just kind of mentor and help, help crack open the Bible and say, hey, here's what this means. Let me just tell you what, what, from my experience how this plays out, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And even in the midst of it, in the midst of the ups, in the midst of the downs, in the midst of the good Fridays, in the midst of the bad Fridays, surely I'm always with you even to the very end of the age. Jesus conquered the cross, and he entrusts you to conquer the mission. Look at me, church. He believes in you that much. He conquered the cross so you and I could focus on conquering the mission. He does the hard stuff so we can just come alongside, love people, point them to the cross. Good Friday is called good because the cross turns outsiders into missionaries. The cross turns outsiders into missionaries. I was meeting with a, a guy this week, and uh, he's in recovery, and so I was just kind of sharing some of my story and, and focusing on the cross. And one of the beautiful realities I told him, and I, wanted, I thought about this, Gavin, and I just want to share it with you. I, I had this thought this week that, that the cross didn't just kill Jesus. The cross killed the old me. The, the cross didn't just kill Jesus. The cross killed the old you. My, my former life was crucified at the cross. My shame, my guilt, my regret, crucified on the cross. The cross didn't just kill Jesus. The cross killed the old me, and it releases outcasts and now live as missionaries. The first passage I ever memorized was Galatians 6.14. And it says this, may I never boast, may I never be proud about anything in my life, because I, I, I know what I'm capable of. I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I've been crucified to that world. The cross didn't kill Jesus. The cross killed the old you. So now you can live a life that says, my life, my old self, it's been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But now Christ lives in me. I can take hold of a new day. I can take hold of a new life. It releases outsiders and outlaws to live as missionaries. The beauty of the cross is that the cross rips the curtain and turns outcast into family. The cross renders a conversion and turns outlaws into disciples. The cross releases us to care and turns outsiders into missionaries. And while there is heaviness on this Good Friday, it's called good for a reason because so much good came out of that cross for you and me not just in the past, but in the present, and certainly for your future. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, we thank you for the cross. Jesus, we remember on this day what you did for us. God, we remember in this moment what our sin required, the consequences of our sin. And God, when we go there in our mind, it's, it's certainly a heavy feeling. But God, the flip side of that heaviness is gratitude, just to say thanks. Thanks for your sacrifice. Thanks for freedom. Thanks for, for being a God of restoration. Thanks, God, for doing the hard work to free us to live as missionaries for you. So as you continue to pray, every head bowed, every eye closed, whether you're online or in the room, I just thought, man, on this Good Friday, if you've, you've never encountered the cross and experienced the freedom that it brings, Man, what better day than Good Friday to make that commitment and go all in with Jesus. 
Bible says this, if you believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and in doing so paid the penalty for your sins, if you believe that he didn't just end on the cross, but he went to the grave and three days later he did rise again, if you believe that not just intellectually, but you say, hey, I'm willing to lay my life on that belief, I'm going to go all in. The Bible says you can be saved. It does require a turning, though, turning from doing life on your own terms and turning to say, God, my life is yours. I'm making you the Lord, the leader of my life. You call the shots. That's where you're at today. It'd be my joy to pray with you. And so if that's you, um, you want to go all in, you want to connect with Jesus, you want to experience the power of the cross, I'd love to pray for you. So online or in person, that's you. Just say a prayer with me like this. Say, God, I recognize the consequences of my sin, the heaviness of it. But Jesus, I believe the reason you went to the cross was to pay the penalty for my sin so now I can live a new life. So God, today, I'm committing my life to you. I'm going all in, God. You can have it all. You gave your life for me, so today, God, I'm giving my life to you. I realize in this moment my old self is crucified on the cross, and now I can live a new life with you. Help me to do that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.